Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right, you can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening. I don't know about you, but we love mystery stories. That's why the Upside Down Story is one of our favorite podcasts. It turns a tale flipsy-flopsy upside-downsy so that you need to listen to the clues to figure out who the mystery storyteller is. Search for the Upside Down Story on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This transparent tale, Story Club members, might make you feel a little empty and invisible. It's one I call, Now You See Me, Now You Don't. Leah Glass's father was a food scientist for about 20 years for a major brand. What's a food scientist? Well, you know how you buy food in boxes that taste really good? Like cereal that tastes like wild strawberries and turns your milk pink? Well, Leah's dad was one of those people who makes that stuff happen. Since Leah was a kid, she'd always been interested in what her dad did. He had a ginormous lab he worked in at the plant, but he also had a home lab. Mr. Glass was fussing around with a glow-in-the-dark formula for a breakfast cereal. The company wanted marshmallow ghosts to glow in the dark, and then after kids ate the little cereal spooks, their teeth would glow in the dark too. But Mr. Glass was having the hardest time coming up with a formula that both glowed and wasn't toxic. One day, when her father wasn't home, Leo was messing around with some of his equipment. When she was younger, she had a cute little chemistry set and would work right next to her dad down at the kid table. Yeah, Leo was a chip off the old block. One morning before school, Leah accidentally bumped her dad's non-toxic glow-in-the-dark formula onto the floor. It mixed with her own science experiment for class. Some of the mixed-up formula spilled on her hand and it vanished. Leah could feel her hand, but couldn't see it anymore. What would happen if she never saw her hand again? Leah started to sweat, the panic rising within her. But then, slowly, her hand started to fade back into sight again. First, Leah could see her bones, then blood vessels, then muscle, then skin. Now more intrigued than scared, Leah dabbed a little of the mixed formula on her other hand. Within seconds, it vanished. And again, it faded back into sight ten minutes later. Huh. I wonder what would happen if I drank some, Leah thought. She was so wrapped up in the excitement of the moment that she just had to see what would happen next. She wasn't really thinking of the possible consequences as she gulped down some of the mixed formula and waited. It didn't work. Leah peered in the mirror for several minutes, but nothing happened. She stayed totally visible. So she bundled up against the recent snowfall outside and headed off to school. When she was in Mr. Rain's English class three hours later, Leah still felt the same. Drinking the invisibility serum apparently wasn't toxic, thank goodness but it didn't do anything either. A total bust. Mr. Raines announced a surprise pop quiz to see if they were paying attention in class. 
As she was writing down the answers to the questions, Leah suddenly noticed that she could see through her hand to the pencil she was holding and could see through her other hand on the desk. She quickly tucked her hands under her armpits, rose, and tried to excuse herself. But Mr. Rain said she couldn't go to the bathroom until after the quiz. Leah said it was an emergency and that she would be back in two minutes. Thankfully, the teacher relented and excused her. In the girl's bathroom mirror, Leah watched as her skin vanished, then her muscles and veins, her skull, and then finally her brain. She now had no visible head. That's not a good sign. Leah's blouse was draped over her invisible shoulders. No way she could go back to class now. She would have to wait in the bathroom until the invisibility wore off. After all, when she'd spilled it on her hands, they vanished for only about 10 minutes. She locked herself in a stall and waited. She pulled out her phone and looked at the clock. After 10 minutes, nothing had changed. Okay, maybe it would take a little longer. Are you still in the bathroom? Liz Moss from class called out to Leah in the bathroom. Mr. Rain said to get back into class right now or you'll fail the quiz. I'm feeling sick, Leah said. I'll come back to class when I'm feeling better. Okay, but class is almost over. Leah heard Liz walk out of the bathroom and close the door. Leah couldn't spend all of her time in the bathroom and she couldn't go back to class either. The best thing to do was go home. The halls would be clear at this time. She would run to her locker, get her hat, coat, gloves, and scarf, and try to get home, which was several blocks away. Leah crept out into the hall, looking both ways. The coast was clear. She ran to her locker. As she passed a mirror in the hallway, she caught a sight of a headless and handless girl running past. Opening her locker, she pulled her stocking cap over her head, then wrapped her scarf around her face. Thankfully, she had a pair of sunglasses in her locker too. She put those on and then her gloves. She then walked back to the mirror. Wow, with her face bundled up with a scarf and sunglasses, she looked like a mountain climber who was about to scale Mount Everest. She left school. Leah knew she was gonna be in serious trouble with Mr. Raines and the school principal for leaving the grounds without permission, but she was gonna be in even more trouble if her dad found out she'd been messing around in his lab. She'd have to lie and say she came down with a 24-hour stomach bug and left for home, feeling too sick to go to the school nurse's office. Not super believable, but that's all she had to work with. Since the school bus wasn't running right now, Leah had to take the city bus. The January wind and cold was too much to walk in all the way home. It was only 9 degrees. She'd be a frozen invisible girl if she tried to do that. Leah waited for the bus. Luckily, she had her lunch money to pay for fare. When the bus arrived, she climbed aboard with a few other people. The bus driver looked at her strangely. She dropped her fare into the machine and headed to the back. It was the longest bus ride in the history of her short life. As Leah climbed off the bus, her scarf unwrapped from her face. An older lady in front of her turned and saw. The lady screamed. Her face, it's all eaten away. Other people started to turn. Leah ran from the group, urgently trudging through the snow. By the time she reached the stoop of her family's townhouse, Leah was cold and tired, and her lungs hurt from sucking in the winter air. She snapped on the gas fireplace in the living room as fast as she could and stood in front of it. Her parents weren't home from work yet. They wouldn't be home for several hours. Leah took off her hat, unwrapped her scarf, and removed her sunglasses. A headless girl stared back at her in the mirror over the fireplace. She still wasn't visible. 
Dang it. And four hours later when her parents came home from work, Leah still wasn't visible. She hid quietly up in her room. What could she do? Leah didn't want her dad knowing she messed around in his lab, but obviously worrying her parents indefinitely wasn't an option either. If the school hadn't notified them of her leaving by now, they certainly would at any moment. Leah thought about writing her parents a note and sliding it under her bedroom door for them to find, or even calling them on the phone. She just could not face them. Not when she was invisible. Leah longed to be seen again, just to be visible and connect with others. When would this secret invisibility nightmare end? Poor Leah Glass. We all think it'd be fun to be invisible, and I've always fantasized about the neat pranks I could pull. But I guess the reality doesn't hold up to the fantasy in this case. Or maybe it was the climate that was the problem for Leah. If you drank invisibility serum in the tropics where it's nice and warm, you could strip down to your birthday suit and be totally ghost-like. At least then you'd save money on suntan lotion. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your host with the most, and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This starstruck tale, Story Club members, might make you reach for the twinkling dots in the night sky, or not. It's one I call Forever Dead. Marcella Pavia didn't move or even breathe, as several of the walking dead shuffled by. She did not want the walkers to get her. That's what the survivors called them, walkers. And they were everywhere, it seemed. More living dead around than living these days. Rarely had she seen another human roaming through this hazardous landscape. And when you did, you had to be careful. Survivors were to be feared, too. They might come off as being friendly, but they might steal your food and water or other life-sustaining supplies. And they might turn you into the walking dead when your back was turned. Yep. The living had to be feared as much as the living dead. This was a terrible place that she'd grown up in. Now at 11, Marcella was pretty used to waking up in a new place every day. Some place safe and hidden, like the inside of an abandoned car, or even up in the crook of a tree. And then, there was the day-to-day -day struggle to find enough food to eat without getting eaten herself. Sometimes she would find a bramble of blackberries. Food like that was always best. Occasionally, Marcella would come across a peach or apple orchard when the fruit was in season. She thought about living in a place like that, but always decided against it because it would eventually be overrun with the walking, shuffling dead or camps of survivors traveling together whom she didn't want to put her trust in. It was best to just keep moving. When Marcella grabbed a few apples off the tree, the device on her wrist clicked. She'd racked up some serious health points. But, uh-oh, one of the walkers had spotted her. Marcella had to move quickly so it wouldn't bite her. You didn't want to get bitten in this virtual game. You would lose all your health points and turn into a walker yourself. Her device emitted a victory chime. Another walker gone. It was forever dead, just like this world. Marcella, a voice chimed in. It's time for a meal break. The apple orchard and smoke-filled sky around Marcella faded and vanished. She was inside a small room. It was called the Virtual Room. The game was a simulation of what happened back on Earth nearly a decade ago. Since the walkers had happened over a year ago, Marcella and her family had boarded a Star Ark, which had hundreds of survivors on board. They were on their way to Mars. A colony had been set up there and was thriving with a few million displaced Earthlings. Mars was the only planet in the solar system that was not close to Earth, but had a fairly inhabitable environment. 
well, besides it getting extremely cold or hot there, with sandstorms that could last for weeks, and there wasn't any breathable air without wearing a suit, but other than that, it was pretty habitable. Catches of frozen water had been found below the surface, and oxygen farms had popped up, which were necessary community resources for survival. Marcella had seen videos of what was waiting for her and her family on the orientation flight before they blasted off, leaving the walker-infested Earth behind forever. It will be a new adventure with a new life, her parents had both said. After that, it was a long, long flight to Mars. Marcella had spent nearly nine months in cryosleep. That's a coffin-like device where all her vital signs were slowed down dramatically. That was to conserve food and oxygen during the flight, as well as preventing people from getting space madness, from spending so many months cooped up with others in what was essentially a long metallic tube in the middle of nowhere. After months of being in cryogenic sleep, your muscles stiffened and weakened, so it was necessary to get exercise to strengthen them. There was a gymnasium with stationary bikes, weightlifting machines, and treadmills. But Marcella found all that boring. She would rather load in a program in the virtual room and play for exercise. Most people would load in a pleasant program for physical and mental health, like walking through a forest or even playing tennis. But not Marcella. She loaded in, walkers take over the world every time. Not only was it an exciting way to jump, run, punch, and kick your way back into shape, it was also historical. She could remember what the Earth was like when they left. Most of the adults didn't want to remember. Their only hope now was Mars, the red planet. But for Marcella, Earth still held its own allure, providing a brave new world of adventure for those who dared to face the walkers, even if her own Earth experience was now in the safety of the virtual game. Marcella sat down to eat with her father and mother, the Pavia family meal break. Since time was different in space, there wasn't breakfast, lunch, and dinner, only meal breaks. They were about to enter the Martian atmosphere, and Marcella buzzed with excitement. This is the last meal of dehydrated french fries that I'll have on the flight, Marcella thought. The next meal I have will be on Mars, probably in one of those fancy food courts. Yep, there were food courts, shopping malls, movie theaters, and sports centers, all the comforts of home. Large gardens and biodomes were used to supply food. Marcella's parents were both botanists, which is why they'd been selected for the flight. They could help plant production on Mars to support the needs of the growing population. Marcella had asked several times what had caused the dead to come back to life on Earth. Some said it was a virus, some said radiation from outer space, some said a kind of fungus that took over the brain. Nobody was clear as to the cause. The only thing that was clear was that it happened, changing life on Earth forever. Luckily, nothing like that would happen on Mars. All of their troubles were literally 244 million miles behind them. A red alert blared. What's going on? Marcella said. Her father got on the radio. His face looked grim. There's an outbreak on Mars. It's happening again. We must land. The Star Arc is nearly out of fuel. When we do, we'll have to be ready. Ready, Marcella thought. Are you kidding? I've been playing walkers take over the world in the virtual room. I was born to take on those shuffling deadheads. Bring it on. What are you smiling about, Marcella? Her mother asked. Nothing, Marcella said, and then took another bite out of the dehydrated french fry. Okay, that story took a few twists and turns that I didn't expect. Quite a few for such a short tale. I know one thing, though. If I'm on a long flight to Mars, they'd better have more than just dehydrated french fries. I'm gonna need a plate of dehydrated nachos at least to keep me from succumbing to the dreaded space madness. 
and I'm not sharing any with my fellow star travelers or shuffling dead friends either. Do not come between me and my nachos, dehydrated or not, or you may end up being the living dead. Just saying. Do you like to laugh? Ah, uh, who am I kidding? Who doesn't like to laugh? So okay, if you love to laugh, you'll love Don't Break the Rules. It's a hilarious comedy improv podcast where the voice actors make up their lines on the spot and try to be the only actor who doesn't break the rules. These talented actors are great at coming up with silly scenes and stories when they follow the rules for the episode. And it gets even sillier when they accidentally break the rules. The stories are guided by suggestions from kids like you, and the episodes feature laughs, burps, and the occasional unicorn. So if you'd like to giggle and play along, be sure to listen to Don't Break the Rules wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This furry tale, Story Club members, might make you never want to be serenaded by cute animatronic animals ever again. It's one I call Howie's House of Fun. Peter David hid in the janitor's closet of the Howie's House of Fun restaurant. He was terrified and out of breath. So far tonight, he'd been chased by Millie Mouse, Barry Bear, Frida Flamingo, and of course, Howie Hippo, the star of the scary show. Come to Howie's House of Fun, they said. It'll be a load of laughs, they said. Yeah, some fun. Not when the animatronic animals had come to life and were chasing him down. Peter wondered how his brother, Philip, was faring. A few hours earlier, everything had been different. Peter had invited his friend, Nick Evans, over for a Saturday night sleepover. They thought it'd be fun to mess with Peter's brother, Philip, as he was the night janitor at Howie's House of Fun. It was an Italian food restaurant known for their famous all-you-can-eat spaghetti and meatballs. On the performance stage were animatronic furry animals that would sing happy songs to the guests. It was mostly a place that appealed to younger kids who would have birthday parties there. The place had fallen out of favor over the years and was in disrepair. Philip David, Peter's brother, worked there nights as the janitor. He cleaned up all the messes the parents and the kids left behind. Lately though, Philip, who was a senior in high school, had been acting weird. He was saying that Howie and the rest of the band would sometimes move on their own. At first, Philip thought that was just the bad wiring in the old animatronic puppets, each of which stood over eight feet high. But some nights, Philip had said they seemed to watch him as he cleaned the floors and scrubbed the tables. Peter had told Nick this, and it was his friend's idea to go scare Philip. Come on, we'll sneak in the back door, hide behind the robot animals, and make them move when Philip isn't looking. We can record it with our phones and watch Philip jump out of his skin over and over. It'll be hilarious. Philip was a popular boy in high school, so seeing him scared would be good for a laugh. Or so Peter had thought. He loved his brother, who was seven years older than him, but he also thought pranking him would be fun. Philip used to prank Peter all the time when he was growing up. Now it was time to return the favor. Peter knew the back door of Howie's would be open as his brother would be dragging trash out to the dumpster. He and Nick had left the house around 10 o'clock, just when Philip would be in the middle of his nightly janitorial routine. Peter and Nick knew Howie's well, as they'd both been to a gazillion birthday parties there growing up. 
As they made their way into the restaurant, Peter saw something shiny on the black and white checkered linoleum floor. It was a golden Howie's House of Fun token. You could use these instead of quarters to play video games in their dusty arcade room. He pocketed the gold token, dropping it into his jeans pocket. Might as well keep it, right? Peter used to have a drawer full of them once, but one day, he burned through all of them playing throwback arcade games like Asteroids, Pac-Man, Joust, and Galaga. Howie's House of Fun was quiet and creepy at night. Only a few lights were on. It was such a different place in the daytime. It was bright and fun, or at least it had been back in the day. Now, it was kind of run down and trashy. Nick and Peter made their way further inside the building, but when they entered the dining room area, the joke was on them. Howie Hippo, Frida Flamingo, Barry Bear, and Millie Mouse were nowhere to be found. Had Philip taken them down to clean them? Then Peter saw his brother. He was hiding under a table. Run, Philip said. They're alive and they're loose. I don't know how, but run. Howie Hippo and Frida Flamingo emerged from the darkness. Howie grabbed Peter. He screamed. The eyes of the eight-foot hippo were lit up. He didn't resemble the singing and dancing hippopotamus who played the guitar and sang to kids during the day. This hippo smacked of something out of a horror show. Peter kicked Howie in the leg. It hurt his foot as under the fur was the metal skeleton of the animatronic figure. But the hippo let go and Peter ran for the closest place he could, the janitorial closet. Millie Mouse and Barry Bear slinked from the shadows and tried to grab Nick, who ran for the door and made it outside. The animatronic animals chased after him, but they lumbered and weren't fast enough. Hopefully, Nick would have enough sense to get some help. This was a nightmare, a living nightmare. Now, hiding inside the janitorial closet, Peter had to come up with a plan. He could wait here for help to arrive, or he could try to escape. He could also call for help, but when he reached for his phone, it wasn't in his pocket. He must have dropped it tussling with the hostile hippo. Scratched the idea of calling for help. The door rattled, then something strong pounded on it. Peter shrank into the corner of the dark closet. Howie's big fat hands with only four fingers probably couldn't work the knob, and the door was pretty sturdy, so surely he couldn't break through. But then, the knob turned and the door opened. In the doorway was the silhouette of Howie Hippo. Peter was trapped. He felt a mop hanging against the wall beside him. This was his only weapon. The massive, silent Hippo watched him, its eyes glowing like two headlights on a car. Then, Howie Hippo stalked toward Peter. Grabbing the mop off the wall, Peter used it as a lance, just like in the video game Joust. He poked at the generous belly of the Hippo, pushing him back. Leave me alone, Peter screamed. You can't be alive, you can't. Peter pushed the Howie Hippo back out of the janitor's closet with his mop. It was working. He could then save his brother Philip, who was still hiding under the table. Then they could escape and call the police. Maybe they would be okay after all. Peter shoved the Hippo again, but the mop was wet and dripping. The water leaked onto the floor, causing Peter to slip. He fell back and hit his head. A maroon darkness crept around his eyes, and then everything went black. Peter woke up in his bed with a start. He was alone, no Nick. Where was his friend? What was going on? Peter crept out into the hallway. He peeked into his brother's room and saw that Philip was asleep. Whew, what a relief. It had all been just a terrible nightmare. Peter went back into his room. He had a bit of a headache. 
He saw that his jeans were folded across his desk chair, which was a little weird since he wasn't the neatest guy and couldn't remember hanging them there before bed. Peter paused, staring at them for a moment. He had to know for sure. He reached into the pocket of his jeans and produced a golden coin from Howie's house of fun. Everyone in the house was awakened by Peter's screams. Let me tell ya, I never went to places like Chuck E. Cheese or Howie's House of Fun when I was a little kid, because those animatronic animals always freaked me out. So you never would have found me in there day or night. I'm glad that Peter David, Philip David, and Nick Evans are all okay, but you've gotta wonder what happened. Did the animatronic animals let them go? Did the authorities show up and help? And what caused those things to come to life in the first place? So many questions with potentially horrifying answers. Ugh, terrifying. But you know one thing you never have to be terrified about is running out of stories. There are loads of tales on the Go Kid Go network, ranging from the scary to the silly and everything in between. Check out Bobby Wonder, about a 10-year-old alien who has to protect the town of Pflugerville from villainous Mighty Mila, and Lucy Wow over in the Big Red Barn inventing all sorts of cool stuff with her mechanical pygmy goat, Kapow, and Waffle and Martha being totally hilarious nitwits in the underground world of Flusville. Just search for Bobby Wonder, Lucy Wow, or Flusville wherever you get your podcasts and you'll find your way to a great time. Join me back here tomorrow for another eerie episode, because every R.L. Stein Story Club member deserves a little scare every day. Ivy out! Go, kid, go! Hi, my name's Ren, and my best friend Drac is a vampire. Oh, but before you freak out, let me explain. Drac isn't like other vampires. He doesn't thirst for blood, he thirsts for knowledge. Each week we hop into the coffin of curiosity for a spooktacular adventure to learn about everything and anything, from how the sun works to why we burp. We have lots of fun, so join us. I promise that the only thing Drac will drink up is information, okay? Worst case scenario, he squirts you with some sunscreen. Search for Jack on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts for the ride of your life. Whee!